Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Abgenommen bedauert. System presents a thrilling new adventure series starring Dick Powell. I'm an insurance investigator. My name is Johnny Dollar. What? You heard me, Johnny Dollar, and I can pad an expense account with the best of them. I'm a freelance insurance investigator, and I live in Hartford, Connecticut. At least that's where I pay rent. My work sees to it that I really live anywhere, except at home. If you're interested in buying me Christmas presents, I take a size 42 suit. Shirts 15 and a half collar, sleeve length 33. My hat size is 7 and 8, except when I wind up a successful case. Then it runs about 7 and 3 eighths. At insurance investigation, I'm just an expert. At making out my expense account, I'm an absolute genius. Expense account submitted by investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, East Coast Underwriters, Terminal Building, Hartford, Connecticut. Attention, Austin Farnsworth, General Manager. The following is an accounting of my expenditures in the investigation of Milford Brooks III for your company. Expense account item one. Cab fare to your office in answer to your original call, 75 cents. Tip to driver, one dollar. Expense account item two. Shoe shine, 25 cents. You'll remember I got my shoes scuffed when I unsuspectingly walked into your private office. Milford! No, you must not my way, Dollar! Get, yeah, get right, your right. away from that window! Don't hey, you, you! Jump you. Oh, 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 no, 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 you don't! Let go of me! Let go of me! Oh. Now, no, there are better ways of making a big splash in life. Get away! Well, nice try, Sonny. Now pay attention to teacher. Oh, oh, I didn't know I had it in me. Oh, oh goodness gracious, Dollar. Did you have to hit him so hard? I hope you haven't killed him. He isn't too strong, you know. Uh, don't worry. There. Oh. Now, now, Mr. Farnsworth, would you mind telling me on whose head have I the dubious pleasure to be sitting? Uh, that, sir, is Milford Brooks III. His policy with this company is in the amount of $2 million. Wow. Yes. And the boy seems bent on committing suicide. Dollar, I want you to stop him. Uh, what do you want me to do? Threaten him with death? Anything, anything. The conditions of his policy are such that we would be forced to meet with the claim in the event of his suicide. 
Oh, I say, Dollar, sitting on his head that way, aren't you in danger of smothering the boy? Smothering him doesn't worry me, but these crew haircuts don't make very comfortable cushions. I'll move down a little. Ah, now, there. Okay, okay. So far, I know this kid is insured for two million and that his policy pays off on suicide. What else? One half hour ago, Milford Brooks walked into this office and changed the beneficiary in his policy. Uh huh. Then, sir, he proceeded to demand, not request, mind you, but demand a loan of $500,000. Quite a touch. When I explained to him that there were no provisions for a loan in his policy, he threatened suicide. Which would cost you two million. So all we have to do is keep him alive, huh? And he's managed to make that no small problem. His choice of a new beneficiary is downright frightening. One of the most notorious gamblers in the East. His name is Hatcher. Uh, Harold Hatcher. Ouch. Oh, do you know him? Sure. That kid's been a post office pinup boy for a lot of years. Well, that's the situation. I'm engaging you to protect Milford Brooks' future. Dollar, I want you to protect the boy. Uh, give him something to live for. You know, an interest in life. An interest in life? Well, let's, let's, uh, let's see... Uh, oh, I know here. This should help. What's that you got there? Well, it's what's commonly referred to in the more successful of bachelor circles as my little black book. Oh. Well, now, let's, uh, let's see. Hmm? Hmm. Ruby? No, no. Her favorite expression is a drop dead. Uh, uh, Bernadine? Mm, no. She'd be the new beneficiary by midnight. Oh, dear. Now, ah, here, here. Here's the one. Butter. Say, Farnsworth, would you mind passing me that phone? The one with the long cord? Oh, no, no, not at all. I still must uh, My little friend here is showing signs of life. Here, here you are. Uh, maybe you should let him breathe a bit more. Ah, don't worry, don't worry. He'll be all right. Hello. Oh, hello. I want to call New York. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hudson, 24292. Dollar, you're not thinking of taking this boy to New York, are you? Well, I'm going there myself. You want me to keep an eye on him, don't you? Now, don't fret, Farnsworth. All is not lost. You do worry me, sitting on his chest that way. Hello? Hello, oh, Butter? Oh, this is Johnny. Yeah, I'll be in town tonight. I want to see you. And look, here's what I want you to do. Yes, yes, it's all right to say over the telephone. Now, I want you to reserve a table at the hatchery in my name for 10 o'clock tonight. Will you do that? Okay, I'll see you at your apartment in a few hours. But, honey, I can't make it any earlier. I'm sitting up on a sick friend. Okay, goodbye. I'm not sure that I agree with your methods. Huh? Ow! What's the matter? Uh, did he hit you? Hit me? He bit me. Expense account, item three. Liquor, $18. Keeping Milford Brooks III peaceful seemed to be the immediate problem. And a bottle of rare old brandy seemed to be the immediate answer. I poured most of it into him, and by the time he started to tick again, he'd gone through the unusual process of going to sleep sober and waking up enchanted. I loaded him into my car, and we headed for New York. As we passed through New Haven, he opened one eye, looked up, saw the Yale Bowl, and gave three cheers for old Eli. Ray, Ray, Ray. Oh, old Yale would sure be proud of you. Why anybody would want to insure you for $2 million is more than I can figure. Uh, my daddy loved me very much. And my mother loved me very much. Now, that's nice. And not only that, but I love somebody very much. And not only that, but I hate somebody very much. That's interesting. You know something? 
Makes the one other guy I hate you more than anybody else. Oh, here, lover boy, it's a cocktail hour again. Time for your bottle. Rolling along the Merritt Parkway, I felt very much alone with my thoughts. And believe me, they weren't very pleasant company. The way it stacked up for me, Brooks had built up a fat gambling debt with Harold Hatcher and had been forced into making him his beneficiary. The suicide threat that he was holding over the insurance company was a little tougher to figure, unless he was trying to finance a trip for himself to get away from the man with a murder motive, Hatcher. My hungry little mind nibbled away on those unsavory morsels of food for thought all the way to Butter's apartment. Where are you taking me? I want to go to New York. If you don't behave, Buster, I'll punch your ticket. Johnny, darling, welcome to New York. Well, that's the fastest trip I ever had. Quiet. Well, where did you find this? In a box of Cracker Jack. Let us in, dear. I don't know about you. Some men bring me flowers, some bring me candy. What do you bring me? A boiled owl in a Brooks Brothers suit. Pleased to reach you. Now, let's trot him into the bedroom, honey. You'd look more at home in the bathtub. I need to pull down the cup. All right. Now, come on, Buster. Lie down. Charm, charm, charm. Uh, that kid's liquor sure can hold him. How long have you been playing nursemaid to this bottle, baby? Get behind that bar, sweet, and I'll tell you all about it. Sure. Horrible examples don't seem to bother you, do they? If you knew how that guy has been bothering me. What did he do to you? Well, let's just say he put the bite on me. No. Gosh, the river sure does look pretty tonight. Bourbon and soda? Now, please. Anything but brandy. I've been sniffing that second hand all the way from Hartford. Butter, see that big boat out there? Mm-hmm. Oh, I sure would like to be on it. With you, sailing off to faraway romantic places. Get with it, darling. That's the 125th Street Ferry. Oh. Here's your drink. Come on now. Tell Butter all about it. So, friend Bourbon and I proceeded to tell her all about it. It wasn't easy. Everything about her kept flagging down my train of thought. The longer she looked at me, the less I wanted of Milford Brooks the third, and the more I wanted of beautiful Butter the first, and only. She was a sympathetic listener to my story until I gave her the answer to her first and only question. And where do I fit into all this? Well, baby, I thought you understood. My job is to give this poor misguided boy something to live for. That's you. Well. Mm. Now, honey, hold everything. Don't go get in your corn all popped. You, you misunderstand. I really mean it. I thought if he'd just got to look at you and realize that things like you exist, why, you'd make any man glad to be alive. Oh, oh come on now, butter. Melt a little. I wouldn't let anything happen to you. You know that. Did I hurt you? Oh, no, I'm getting used to it. People have been taking pokes at me all day. I'm sorry. Ah, that's better. You want some more bourbon? Uh-uh. I want some more you. Well, help yourself.
it's getting late. Let's uh, make this the last drink. Mm. What time is it? Oh, it's, uh, it's, uh, 20 to 10. Oh. My reservation at the hatchery is for 10. Here. Thanks. Cigarette? Oh, empty. Some more out in the other room, I'll get it. I'd love to get you on a slow boat to China. Johnny! Oh, coming. He's gone. What? Well, he can't be. But he is. The window's wide open. Oh, the fire escape. What a smart guy I am. Trading three drinks of bourbon for two million bucks on the hoof. Oh, that's the biggest bar check I ever picked up. That's a big bar check for anyone to pick up. As a matter of fact, it's a bigger bar check than you've ever heard of anyone picking up before. And that should give you an idea of what to expect in the second act as you follow this new CBS series starring Dick Powell in the title role, Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Well, nobody could say I wasn't working fast. I'd only been in town for an hour, and I'd already succeeded in losing Milton Brooks affair. I spent another hour of his all-too-short life expectancy unsuccessfully shaking down the neighborhood for him. And then, feeling very much like a bloodhound that had flunked his sniffing exam, I went back to Butter's apartment. No luck, Johnny. Oh, sure. Plenty of luck. All bad. Is there anything I can do to help? Uh, a kiss for luck. What are you going to do? Nothing. Just a little phone call. Police headquarters. This is Johnny Dollar. Give me missing persons. Any particular one? Now, don't be a wise guy. Lieutenant Fisher. Yes, sir. Lieutenant Fisher. Fisher, this is Johnny Dollar. Hello, Dollar. Who'd you lose? One man, my mind, and if I'm not careful, my professional reputation. The guy's name is Brooks, Milford III. Got anything on him? Hold on. All right. Don't look at me like that. It wasn't all my fault. Dollar? Yeah? We haven't found him yet, but we think we know where he is. Huh? The Hudson River. At 11.15 tonight, his top coat, complete with identification, was found taking a ride on the 125th Street Ferry. Oh. Anything else? Uh, nothing much. A package of matches was found under the coat monogram. Uh, you don't happen to know anybody whose initials are H.H., do you? H.H.? Yeah. There's always Horace Height. Uh, thanks, Fisher. I'll check back with you later. I'll be here. H.H. Mm, Harold Hatcher. Mm. What are you mumbling about? Bad news? Mm, looks like about two million bucks worth. They uh, found Milford's coat on the 125th Street Ferry. <laughs> you and your faraway romantic places. <laughs> Very funny. Now, I'll see you later, honey. Maybe about 11. Expense account, item four. Nightclubs. $28. Harold Hatcher's hatchery was in a cellar under a hotel, but the prices were high enough to raid a penthouse. The club was draped in too much satin, its lady customers in too little. The decor was French provincial, the music was Brazilian, and the food was from Dixie. The drinks looked weak and the waiters looked strong. 
All in all, the joint was a sight for sore eyes, for making them sore. The only pretty thing in the place was a blonde. She came strolling up to my table, her hips unconsciously sending subtle little messages back to the rumba band. She opened her mouth, slid her tongue over her lower lip, and let a few warm, soft words slide out. Looking for someone? Well, you'll do until the real thing comes along. Sit down. Thanks. I won't have a drink. Well, I didn't ask you. My name is Janelle. Janelle? Mm. Wow, that's a nice name. I understand you were asking about Mr. Hatcher. Well, I asked if he was in. The waiter said he wasn't. Do you know him? More than somewhat. What do you want to see him about? A mutual friend, Milford Brooks. Uh-huh. I know most of the quiet clothes boys around here, so you want a cop. You don't look like the type that would be a society friend of the Brooks family, so what are you? Uh, I'll ignore that. Is Hatcher around? He might be. Well, come on, where's his office? The top of those stairs. Can I expect any trouble getting in? You won't have any trouble. How do you know? Because Harold sent me down here to look you over. Oh. I think you're all right. So, I won myself the good housekeeping seal of approval, huh? Keeping a house with you would meet with my approval. I ran for my life at a slow walk up the stairs. When I located the door to Hatcher's office, I knocked once and went in. Come on in. Thanks. Oh, I'm Johnny Dollar. I was hired by East Coast underwriters to protect the interest of a kid named Milford Brooks III. Now, what's that supposed to mean to me? You know him, don't you? Well, he isn't exactly one of my boozing buddies. How much money does he owe you? Yeah, we've got him on the books for a few bob. Why? They picked up his top coat tonight on the 125th Street Ferry. He wasn't in it. It might have been suicide. It might have been a knockover. It made it look like a suicide. What's your choice? What do you get off asking me about my choice? Wherever you between 11 and 11.30 tonight. What's it to you? I thought you might like to rehearse some answers. The law will be asking some questions real soon now. I don't know why I should tell you, but I was driving around in my car getting some air. Oh, now you'll have to do better than that. They found one of your match folders under Brooks' coat. You're out of your mind. Let me ask you. The kid owed me a couple of hundred thousand. You think I'm going around knocking off my own assets? Hatcher, I, I don't know whether you're stupid or bright. Don't worry about it. I know. What about that insurance policy? What insurance policy? Now, look, Hatcher. We're big boys. We both know that changing a beneficiary in an insurance policy is a legal transaction. That means witnesses. That means it isn't secret. What are you talking about? That you and East Coast underwriters and I know all... All know that Brooks made you the beneficiary in his policy and that you stand to come into two million bucks when they fish out his body. I don't know anything about it. Motives don't come much bigger. I'm telling you, this is all news to me, and you and nobody else is going to make me move off that story. I feel the same about mine. It doesn't take a genius to know that Brooks didn't love you two million dollars worth. There's only one logical reason for his making you the beneficiary. You forced him into it. Who'd believe anything else? Who cares? They'd have to prove it. Brother, that can't be done. Now, how would you... Yeah. Okay, Rocky, thanks for the news. Take the inspector into the bar and buy him a drink. I'll be right down. Dollar, did you turn me in? They're here, huh? Yeah. No, I didn't turn you in. I'm not a cop. Well, come on. Maybe they just want to sell me some tickets to the policeman's ball. For a guy in a hot spot, Hatcher was certainly a cool customer. I followed him out of the office, down the stairs, and back into the club. Janelle was sitting there right where I'd left her. And I thought to myself, now there's a gal who should never sit down. She looks so pretty standing up. 
Jenna, I'll buy Mr. Dollar a drink. I have to go play 20 questions with some fellas in the bar. Sure, baby. Anything you say. Anything. I'll see you, Dollar. Yeah. How'd you make out? Well, you can never tell about a guy like that. He's a smart boy. Strong, silent type. Wouldn't talk, huh? A real close-mouth act. About what? Oh, just a little doodad. Two million dollar life insurance policy. Wait a minute. A young Brooks kid? That's right. I knew it. Tried to tell him he'd get into trouble, but he wouldn't listen to me. Oh, you knew about it, huh? I suppose you also know what was behind it. Sure, Milford owed him some money. A lot of money. It's in writing. What kind of writing? The personal note that Brooks was going to get back if he made Harold beneficiary. Well, where is this note? Do I look like the kind of girl who'd put the finger on her boyfriend? You look like the kind of girl who'd do anything if she wanted to. Thanks. I'll give you a slight hint. It's in his office. You'll find it in the inside pocket of one of his suits in the wardrobe. What are you waiting for? I'll watch the bar. Nothing, sweetheart. Nothing at all. Whatever her reasons, Mr. Harold Hatch's little female playmate was trying awful hard to send him up on a murder rap. And I was going to try awful hard not to let her down. Back in Hatch's office, I found myself alone in a room with a telephone. And being a guy who can never resist a free call, I unleashed the magic wonders of the AT&T. This better be you, Johnny Dollar. Shh, quiet, Butter. I've only got a few seconds. It seems that's all you ever have for me. Now, if you... Now, look, Angel, I... Angel, just another hour. I'll get you a nice present. I don't care if you're another century. And as for presents, the last one you brought me was a drunk. And you even let him get away from me. Good night. Life presents a gloomy picture ever downward toward the tomb. Having wasted those few precious moments of an already misspent youth, I decided I'd get on my pony before Mr. Hatcher showed up. I found Milford Brooks' personal note in one of Hatcher's suits, all right. As a matter of fact, I found something in all his suits. A great big glimmer of light. Expense account, item five. Taxi fare, ten dollars. I left the office in a hurry. Janelle at her table and Hatcher at his bar. I got out of the club and into a taxi parked a half block down the street. There, I waited until my favorite suspect left the hatchery and piled into another cab, and off we went. On a chase that would have made Ben-Hur look like a plowing bee. skittered over to Lexington and headed uptown. At 72nd, the cab turned right and pulled to a stop. My driver was on his toes, and his toes were on his brake. We stopped, too, half a block behind. You want us to wait, huh? No, here you are. Keep the change. Hey! Hey! It was a garage that belonged to a residence on a parallel street a block away. The living quarters upstairs were dark enough to look interesting. I indulged in a bit of genteel breaking and entering. Entering that old barn didn't take much breaking. I crept up the stairs. It sounded like they were left over from an old ghost story. And so did the first voice I heard when I stopped halfway up. We've got to be careful, especially about that Johnny Dollar. Are you sure he didn't follow you? That voice sounded awfully dry to be coming from a guy who supposedly had spent most of the night snoozing on the bottom of the Hudson River. It was Milford Brooks III. 
up on your feet, Brooks. Now, wait a minute. I I started this thing slugging you, and I might as well finish it the same way. Leave him alone, you. Now, pull in, pull in the claws, Angel. I'm set on his lap. You hard-footed Hank. I'll kill you. Get off of me. Huh? I should have known better than to get mixed up with a low-class female like you. Why, you punk? Now, hold it. We pushed the lady around enough, Brooks. Tell me to be careful, will you? Why didn't you think of that before you let him here? Wipe your nose, little boy. Now, don't you go getting fat-headed, gorgeous. I'm only interested in one thing. Saving the insurance company $2 million. And, Buster, I think you've done it for me. Dollar, I... This is insurance fraud. It has been ever since you put on that fake suicide attempt. Trying to extort 500000 bucks out of the company. Dollar, wait a minute. Ah, come on. We're leaving. You heard him, Dollar. Harold. Hatcher. He said, wait a minute. He wants to talk. Yeah, everybody wants to get in on the act. How did you get here? When the police in this town think maybe a guy's jumped off a ferry boat and nobody's seen him do it, they check the counters on the turnstiles at each end. In the case of Brooks, as many people got off that boat as got on. Well, it makes sense. They'd hardly hold a guy because somebody lost a top coat. Uh, how did you know we were here? You know me, baby. You never go anyplace I don't know about. Okay, Brooks, you felt like talking. Now I feel like listening. Get it up. Why? Well, I don't know what you mean. I know what you mean, Hatcher. One, he gave you a big, fat $2 million motive for murder. And two, he did his best to make it look like you did murder him with that broken-down match cover plant on the ferry boat. It's just that simple. And you, baby? Harold, please. You put him up to it, didn't you, you cheap little muscler? Trying to get rid of me, will you? No, Harold. Now, calm down, Hatcher. You don't need any gun around here. They're tame. Well, maybe I'm not. Since so many people have gone to so much trouble to hand me a nice, easy way to make $2 million... Maybe I'll just go ahead and make it. I'll show these amateurs how these things are really done. Come on, Brooks. How'd you like to go for a nice, cool, half a ferry boat ride? No, Hatcher. No. Look, it's her fault. I'll give you anything you want. You're wrong, sonny boy. You're going to give me everything. No. No. You can't. Let me out of here. Brooks bolted for the door. Hatcher snapped a shot at him. And I hit Hatcher with a door die tackle from behind. The gun flew out of his hand. No, you don't. I beat him to it and swung it straight into his skull. Half the people were lying in the room bleeding. Brooks from gunshot, Hatcher from gun butt. And Janelle and I both stood there panting. Ah, but believe me, not for each other. We stood that way until the police arrived. beyond me. I sent you out to protect the life of a very important policyholder. And now, where are we? Standing in a hospital corridor, worrying about whether he's going to live or die. As far as I'm concerned, Mr. Farnsworth, you're only half right. I'm just standing in a hospital corridor. Dollar, you're heartless. If you'd been bitten where you bit me, you wouldn't care if you'd uh, lived or died either. I'm getting out of here. Well, where are you going? It'll be explained in my expense account on the miscellaneous expense. Now, don't fall over when you come to an item for $318. $318? For what? Not for what, Farnsworth. For whom? Expense account total. And it all adds up to a little matter of $1,182.23. Which you may say, Mr. Farnsworth, is a lot of money for one man to spend in two days. 
But you must bear in mind that the amount of steak was $2 million. And you know the price of steak these days. It might comfort you to know that I just returned from the hospital. Brooks was strong enough to make a full statement, which you will find enclosed. This in itself should prove sufficient to establish evidence of attempted fraud against your company, allowing you to immediately avoid his policy. It uh, boils down to one sentence, to wit. Brooks and Janelle wanted to get rid of Hatcher so that they could live happily ever after. Knowing those two, they never had a chance. And oh yes, that, uh, <laughs> that miscellaneous item, the one for $318, it, uh, it was a bracelet for a certain party who made this special investigation for me very special. Oh, if you want a receipt for this item, I'll send you a lock of her hair. Yours, uh, mm, truly, Johnny Dollar. So, with the final signature on his expense account, Dick Powell as Johnny Dollar has just closed the books on his first adventure in this new CBS series. sure to tune in again next week when the expense account covers Special Investigation Singapore, another unusual adventure starring Dick Powell in... Yours, mm, truly, Johnny Dollar. Columbia Broadcasting System presents Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. The next half hour has its baggage packed to take a trip with America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar. At insurance investigation, he is just an expert. At making out his expense account, he is an absolute genius. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, American Continental Life Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of my expenditures, fulfilling your assignment as a, uh, a bodyguard. The body being that of your late policyholder, Robert W. Perry. Expense account item one. Fare on night train, Hartford to New York, $3.80. Expense account item two, $1.80, taxi to Lower Manhattan the following morning. Two offices, Perry and Van Bruten, importers, arriving as promised at exactly 9 a.m. Yeah, my name is Johnny Dollar. I have an appointment with Mr. Perry for 9 o'clock. Oh, yes, from the insurance company. Well, you're right on time. Yeah, they told me I'd better be. Mr. Perry just came in. He's alone and waiting for you. I'll buzz him that you're here. Thanks. (laughs) 
What was left of your policyholder, Mr. Perry, was just sliding out of his swivel chair as I hit the room. The top of his desk had erupted, and splinters of mahogany pointed their sharp fingers upward through lazy circles of smoke swirling toward the ceiling. The buzzer from his secretary's desk had been rigged to a booby trap. Oh, oh no, Mr. Perry. Stay away from him. There's nothing you can do for him. He's dead. Oh, what happened? What happened? Whatever happened? Come on, we let's let's get back out of here. Hey, Lana, sit down. I'll get you a drink of water. There you are. Now, uh, just drink this. Never mind the doctor. Call the police. And nobody gets in here until they arrive. Now, the rest of you, go on, feed it. Run along. And turn off that alarm. Okay, miss. Now, just take it easy. But it was all so sudden. What happened? Well, that's not too hard to figure out. Somebody wanted to give your boss, Mr. Perry, a shortcut through life. So, whoever it was figured out that a secretary would never buzz her boss unless he was at his desk. They rigged up a bomb somewhere in his desk that would go off when you buzzed him. Oh, but... But I killed him! Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Don't get hysterical on me. There's excitement enough around here, and there'll be plenty more when the police get here. Keep cool. But I did it. You saw me do it. Look, the way you put it, I killed him by coming in here and giving you my name so you'd buzz him. Drop it, will you? I'm sorry. Now, uh, what about yesterday? Was he here? Yes, all day. What time was it when you last used the buzzer? Like, right up to the last minute, about 5.30. Uh, who left the office first, you or Perry? Mr. Perry, he always leaves first, and I lock up. Mm-hmm. Looks the things, you should have used more locks last night. Somebody got in here to do some wiring. Uh-oh, I forgot that fire alarm. All that equipment and no fire. Look, before the police arrive, do you know why I was sent here? Yes. Mr. Perry recently felt that his life was in danger. He thought that, well, with a $100,000 policy, the insurance company would do everything they could to help keep him alive. Well, we didn't have much of a chance, did we? What was he afraid of? I don't know. Okay. What were his other appointments for today? He only had two. His partner, Mr. Van Bruten, at 11, and then... One at a time now. Van Bruten. Anything special about their meeting? Yes. Mr. Van Bruten arrived just yesterday from Holland. You mean there was a branch of this firm in Holland? Yes, and Mr. Perry was buying out Van Bruten's interest, and... Had their final meeting at Van Bruten's hotel last night. Oh. Van Bruten was coming by this morning to pick up his money. Uh, cash? No, a cashier's check. The bank is to deliver it here at 10.30. Now, quick. Perry's other appointment. Who was that? Christine, his wife. Oh, yeah. Now Christine, the beneficiary. Yes, but she wouldn't have been the beneficiary in another two weeks. They were getting a divorce. Thanks for the motive. You don't like her? I didn't mean it that way. How about Perry? Did you like him? Okay, well, here's an easy one. What's your name? Susan. Susan Gates. Now, isn't that about enough? Okay, Susan. You'd better save your voice. During the next few hours, you're going to have a lot of talking to do. Oh, here come the firemen, and we haven't even got a child to ask them to save. Where's the fire? I'm looking for a fire. Just stick around. When the cops get here, somebody will get burned. Fireman should have stuck around because the cops arrived in a blaze of glory. It was a very high-class investigation. Two lieutenants. Finally, after about an hour, the police photographer ran out of flashbulbs, 
the office of a deceased ran out of fingerprints, and the lieutenants ran out of questions. So the on-the-scene phase of the investigation was closed. At five minutes of 11, I left the police to pack up their notebooks, their clues, and the body, and went into the outer office. Susan looked like she could use a big, broad shoulder to weep on, but unfortunately, I was wearing my light gray suit. About then, a dark blue suit and a deep green voice entered the room from the corridor. Say, there's some fellow out here who says he belongs here. His name is Van Bruten. Shall I let him in? Oh, what do you think? His name is on the door you just opened. Oh, in... Well, my name happens to be Murphy, and it's on beds all over the country. But that don't mean I'm stuffed with feathers, does it? This'll teach you, Johnny Dollar, never to cross tongues with an Irishman. Okay, send him in, officer. Yes. All right, you can come in. The policeman out there. Is there trouble here? Oh, I am Bremer Van Bruten. Where's Mr. Parrott? What? He's waiting for me, no? No. But my appointment... He's not keeping any. He's dead. Dead? This is impossible. Last night I saw him. He was well. What happened? He was hit by a buzz bomb. A buzz bomb? Please. Oh, sorry. I forgot other people aren't used to these things. You mean that was foul play? Very foul. Please, may I sit down? My first visit in all these years, since before the war. It was to be so happy. Now, tragedy like this. He was a good man. A good partner. I understand that as of last night... Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I realize, of course, that it is indelicate to speak of such things as money at a time like this. Now, that is why I'm here, to receive my payment. Oh, just because Perry got his, there's no reason for you not getting yours, huh? But you misunderstand me. I am deeply grieved. Since the transaction was consummated, what is that to do? A delay would be a need for the money. I have already paid for passage back to Amsterdam tomorrow. Your check is here, Mr. Van Bruten. Here you are. Thank you. In all my years of business, this is the saddest moment. Yeah. Yeah, those are very kind words, Van Bruten. And I'd believe them if your eyes would stop counting all the zeros on that check. Expense account, item three. Ninety cents. Phone call to your company. Oh, uh, well, that's a matter of opinion. This is Johnny Dollar. Put me through to Mr. Gordon, will you? Yes, sir. Mr. Gordon's office. Look, hi, this is Johnny Dollar. I want to speak to Gordon. Oh, and uh, while I'm telling him why I've got to tell him, maybe you'd better sit in his lap with some smelling salts. I'm not that type of a secretary. And besides, he doesn't have a lap. Hello, Dollar. How are you making out? I owe about $100,000. What's that? Yeah, somebody turned Mr. Perry into a firecracker. He's dead. Oh, that's bad news. It's a big policy, you know. Yeah. Look, what I want to know is, shall I stay on the case? Oh, certainly, Dollar. Certainly, by all means. Uh, by the way, is, uh, is there a chance of uh, proving suicide? There's a non-payment clause. To make this one a suicide, there'd have to be a Santa clause. Nobody could hate himself enough to do it this way. What are the fraud possibilities? Uh, only fair. There's an estranged wife. She's the beneficiary, but uh, she wouldn't have been in a couple of weeks. Divorce coming up. I'll start with her. Uh, all right, Tyler. Good luck. But watch those expenses. Why, Gordon, I'm surprised. I think an insurance man would be the first to want to see a fellow live a little. <laughs> Expense account, item three. Cab fare, $2.80. Tip to driver, $1.00. 
Christine Perry's apartment was on Sutton Place, overlooking the river. And from what the doorman told me, all of the proprieties. I took the elevator up to the 24th floor, and there I discovered that our garden fresh widow was living high in more ways than one. Everything about the place was French. The maid that led me into the living room, the decor, and the perfume, which reminds you that breathing can be fun. I looked up from enjoying my nose to see Mrs. Perry looking down hers. Mr. Dollar? Oh, Mrs. Perry. I believe we can dispense with any getting acquainted. You're an insurance investigator, interested in the death of my husband. So naturally, you're here because you've jumped to the conclusion that I killed him. Oh? You're the one that's jumping to conclusions, lady. Then what do you want? The policy's in order, the premiums are fully paid. I'm not quite sure. I know that you've got a great motive. So far, the only motive I've found. You haven't had much time to look, have you? Check. This is my first stop. Maybe you can help me. Do you know anyone who would be happier with your husband out of the way? I know very little about my husband's friends. Or for that matter, his activities for the past six months. That's when I left him. Uh-huh. Well, that's not much help for either of us. Well, without someone else to suspect, I may just have to concentrate on you. Mr. Dollar, I picked him in I want to concentrate on me. Well, I hope you're as long on alibis as you are short on your temper. Where were you last night? With a friend, Al Donovan. For a while, I think my husband was. And I have witnesses to prove who was with him. Anybody at the club Caprice can tell you. Well, save me a trip. I can't afford the prices they get there. Certainly, pleasure. My husband was with his beautiful little secretary, Susan Gates. Well, I wouldn't be more surprised if your late husband walked through the door and said that... All right, mister, that's enough. Well... Yeah. How, how much do you I'm do? a big guy, baby, six foot four, and I've got big ears to match. Oh, please. Would this be Mr. Donovan, your companion of last evening? I'm getting you out of here, Christine. I just don't know what you're saying. You lie to me. How can I help you if you lie to me? You call me stupid. The way you're playing this, you'll alibi yourself right into a cell. I'm getting you out of here. What are you doing to me? Are you crazy? Come on. She's right. You are stupid, Donovan. She was doing just fine till you dropped in. Mister, you've been asking a lot of questions. Now I'll give you one answer. All right, Christine. So much for the wise guy. Now about you and your alibi. You wasn't with me at the Club Caprice last night. Then if it's so easy to prove your husband was there with his secretary, who were you there with? You told me you were going with your husband. Talking divorce, remember? When Al measured me for that swing, I measured my chances with him. To me, he looked like one of the corporate assets of Murder Incorporated. So I rolled with a punch, hit the floor, and stayed there, with my eyes closed and my ears open. What I heard was Christine's alibi flying out the window, Mr. Donovan giving her a few loving cuffs, and finally the pair of them flying out the door. I allowed myself the luxury of a 20-second massage on the new lump on my jaw, and then I got up and started out after them. This case was becoming interesting. In just a moment, we'll return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. But first, this important message. Sixty million dollars is what the Red Cross needs to carry on its great work in 1949. If this seems like a lot, just try to review briefly the various activities of the Red Cross. It can't be done briefly. Red Cross services extend into every area of our lives, bringing care, comfort, and recreation to the men of the armed forces, 
bringing first aid training, nutritional programs, nursing services, blood banks to our own communities. And all the time, as these activities go on uninterrupted, the Red Cross is holding itself ready to spring into instant action in case of disaster. Fire, flood, explosion, any sort of catastrophe finds the Red Cross on the scene with food, clothing, and medical care. Sixty million isn't so much in the light of such activity. We can make it with each of us contributing. We're giving to our own safety, security, and peace of mind, and to our neighbors, too. So let's give generously to our own Red Cross. And now back to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. I hit the street just in time to see Donovan pushing Christine Perry into a cream-colored convertible. When they got rolling, I piled into a cab and followed them, and the chase was on. At 57th and Broadway, things got complicated. My cab was three cars behind theirs when a red light flashed them to a stop. Then the door of their convertible flew open. Christine jumped out, dashed across the street, and down to the subway. Since Donovan didn't follow her, I followed him. When he finally pulled to a stop, he took two chances. He parked in a no-parking zone and walked straight into the building beside it. A police station. This is Mr. Dollar, Lieutenant. He's been waiting for you for some time. Uh Well, you can wait outside, Sergeant. Okay, sir. My name is Johnny Dollar, Lieutenant. Here are my credentials. Hmm. Insurance, huh? Yeah, the uh, Perry murder in particular. You've come to the right place, Dollar. A man named Donovan just walked in here and made a full confession. He what? That's right. My clerk's just typing it up. In the meantime, the gentleman is down in the tank having a bite of lunch on the city. He confessed. Does his story add up? As far as I know. I haven't heard too much about the case myself. It's not in my precinct. What did he use for a motive? Jealousy. Says he's in love. Wanted to marry Perry's wife. Uh, Did he say how he managed it? Yeah. He stole a key to the office from the wife's apartment, entered the building last night, and wired a bomb to the buzzer system. Uh Uh-huh. Well, guys do a lot of strange things in the name of love. Yeah, looks like Donovan did. Ah, he either killed a man, or he's trying to cover up for someone who did. Now, listen, don't uh, execute him for a couple of days. How, Lieutenant? They spent the rest of the afternoon downtown in the offices of Perry and Van Bruton, importers. The partner's correspondence told me two things. They had been extremely friendly, and uh, Van Bruton was extremely bald. Perry had been sending him two pays from her famous Hollywood makeup firm. At 4.30, I opened the drawer marked Employment Files. They rocked me with two minor explosions of their own. The folder marked Donovan Albert J. told me that he'd been employed as Perry's bodyguard over a period of years, and that he was canned the day before the murder. Before I received blast number two from the folder of Perry's secretary, Susan Gates... The office door opened behind me. Well, Mr. Dollar, you're supplied with a search warrant, I hope? Just the one I was born with, Mrs. Perry. The kind they say kills cats. You know, curiosity. What are you looking for? I found it. How about you? What are you doing here? Why, oh, I'm tired of dueling with you. I'm here because I want to... Well, I've got to talk to someone. I called your hotel, you went there... I tried to locate Susan, but I couldn't, so... I thought 
Maybe you'll be down here. What's the basis of our sudden friendship? You should know. Al Donovan's confession. The newspapers have it already? Yes, but there's not a word of truth in it. He didn't kill my husband. How do you know that? Because, well, it's impossible, that's all. Yeah, it was a little hard for me to swallow, too, when the police told me about it. But since then, it's become a little more digestible. What do you mean? I just learned that he was your husband's bodyguard. He was fired yesterday. That same day, your husband calls his insurance company screaming for another bodyguard. Now, how would that add up for you? A beef, maybe? Al Donovan's a fool. Never thinks. He just rushes in and says he does whatever's on his mind. He told my husband if he didn't divorce me that... Well, he threatened him. You know, you came in here saying that Donovan's confession was no good. And you spend your time making it sound better and better. What do you want, anyway? I can't help it. I've got to tell you the truth. I know it doesn't sound like I'm trying to help Al, but what can I do? You really want me to answer that? Here. If you want to help Al, phone the police. Tell them Donovan made that phony confession to cover up for you. It's simple. Not as simple as that. You don't need the gun, Christine. Hang up the phone. Sure. I hope you don't mind my aversion to being held for murder myself. Oh, that's a common aversion. I'm in no hurry to see you behind bars. But don't forget, when the cops want to pick you up, they'll do it. Now, don't spoil the rest of the afternoon. Take that gun someplace else. I've got things to do. The first I imagine will be the call that I wouldn't make. Well, not necessarily. If it'll make you feel any better, we'll just put this phone out of order. Satisfied? Of course not. But don't get me wrong, Mr. Dollar. I wish you nothing but success in your investigation. I puzzled over that exit line for a few seconds after she'd gone. And then I went back to the company's employment file. Namely, the application for employment as secretary of Susan Gates. It informed me that during the war she had worked in a munitions plant. Her specialty... Wiring bomb fuses. When Miss Susan Gates reached home at 8.30 that evening, she found a visitor, me. Oh, how did you get in here? A professional secret. Oh, you scared me. What do you want? Why did you come here? I wanted to bring you the good news. I uh, heard on the radio that... Al Donovan confessed to Perry's murder. Al? I can't believe it. Why not? Who do you like for the spot? Why, Christine. Al is covering up for us. I'd like to agree with you. If it turns out that Christine wound up her husband's life with a bang, the company that hired me saves $100,000. But I don't know. She claims she has all kinds of alibis. One of them is you. Me? Yeah. Did you see her at the Club Caprice last night? Why, yes. I know who you were with, your boss. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, I'm not preaching a sermon. I want to know who she was with. I don't know. A man I'd never seen before. Mr. Perry knew him, but he wouldn't tell me who he was. Why not? I don't know. He said I might get the wrong idea. About what? I don't know. We didn't sit there and talk about it all night. Why should we sit here and talk about it all night? All right, all right. When a census taker shows up and asks a lot of questions, people answer them. When an investigator tries to do his job, they make the proverbial clam look like a blabbermouth. Look, Mr. Dollar, believe me, this has been a greater shock to me than to anyone else. Excepting, of course, your late employer, Mr. Perry. How long did you work for him? 
four years. Now, where'd you work before then? Why, I... I... Let me help you. Bombs, wiring fuses, remember? All right, I remember. Good. Then maybe you'll remember a little bit more. Let's go back to last night. The guy with Christine Perry. Who was he? I tell you, I don't know. Was it Van Bruten? I don't know. You don't know? No, I mean... I'll get that. No, I'll go. You make sure you just don't keep going. <laughs> Susan! When Susan snapped the spring lock to open the door, the gun outside opened up. The first slug caught her in the left shoulder, spinning her out of the way of the rest of them. It was getting monotonous. Every time a buzzer went off, things started booming. Susan was sprawled out on the floor in front of the door. And to open it, I had to move her. By the time I did, the hallway outside was empty. Okay. Now, take it easy. It won't start hurting for a couple of minutes. I'll have a doctor here by then. He'll give you something. Just try and keep calm. Here. I'll throw my coat over you. I'll try not to move. Oh. Trying to ruin this rug. Never mind the rug. What we want to worry about is who tried to ruin you. What'll they do to me? Well, well, who'll do to you? They'll arrest me. No, they don't arrest people for getting shot. Do you have any idea who it was? That man in the office this morning. The one who picked up the check. Van Bruton? No, no, he wasn't Van Bruton. He was a phony. Yes. And you still gave him that check? Yes. Well, I won't ask you why. But apparently you gave him the money and then tried to blackmail him. Is that right? Me. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Who is this guy? Where can I find him? Uh, Come on, now, don't pass out on me now. His name, quick. Van Sant. Where does he live? Nelson Hotel. Under his own name? Oh, I don't. I don't blame him. I could use a few moments of unconsciousness myself. Nelson Hotel didn't have a Dutch name on the register, so I got a hold of the housekeeper and found out how many rooms her staff hadn't been able to make up all day because of do not disturb signs on their doors. I went a calling at these particular rooms. On the ninth floor, I awakened one old maid. On the seventh, I startled a bunch of poker players who thought they were being raided. On the fifth, I blushed my way out of the bridal suite. And on the fourth, I struck the door of 427 and the jackpot. Who's there? Don't you see the sign? I do not wish to be disturbed. Oh, uh, sorry. I must have the wrong room. I started up the hall after the fire axe, but when I got to it, I changed my mind. One of the few things I'd learned about this guy, Van Sant, was that he loved to murder people through doors. So I decided against trying to chop his down. Then I remembered the way those people came pouring out of those offices earlier in the day when they heard that fire alarm. So I picked up the little red hammer next to the big red fire axe, broke the little glass window, pulled the little brass hook, and set off a big brassy noise. Then I rushed back to 427. Fire! Fire! Where's the fire? Right here in my eyes, sweetheart. You. Why you come here? You wish you hadn't. Never mind the dresser. You're, sh you're through shooting guns for the day. What do you think, Vincent? You want to try some more? You cannot make me stay here. The fire, we've all died. You look good barbecued, but I'll make a deal with you. You talk. If I like what I hear, I'll show you how to get out of here alive. How do I know this? Well, you don't think I'm going to stay here and fry, do you? And if you don't start flapping that tongue in a hurry, I'll probably just tie you to a chair and run. 
First, where's Van Bruten? You will find him in the bedroom. He better be alive. He's out cold. What's the matter with him? He will be all right. He's on the sedatives. Where did this identity switch start? You better hurry up. I smell smoke. I knew Van Bruten in Amsterdam. I knew about the sale of his interest. And I knew that the girl in the office here had never seen Van Bruten. Well, let's go now. Now, don't get up. I can feel it getting warm in here. The firefighters. We will be saved. Now, don't be too sure. They always start at the top floor and work their way down. Come on, I can hear those flames crackling. You know the rest. Last night, when the transaction was all finished with Barry, I gave to Van Bruten some sedative and his cocoa. You set up that bomb so Perry'd get it before you showed up to pick up the check. Yeah, I told you that. Then it happened that girl didn't know I was an imposter. I don't know how. Well, let me tell you. She's been sending old Van Bruten in there two pays for the last four years. Gray ones, my red-headed friend. Oh, yeah. Let's get out of here, no? Yeah, out. Oh! Expense account item four, a dollar forty. Night letter informing you that American Continental would have to meet payment of claim to Mrs. Christine Perry, innocent widow of the insured. The only thing she was guilty of was trying to stay on the right side of a hot-tempered boyfriend. <laughs> she lied about who she was with at the Club Caprice, not to fix herself an alibi, but to keep Al Donovan from learning that she'd been out with another guy. That guy being the real Mr. Van Bruten, who had only taken her out to try to talk her into reconciling with his friend, her husband. Item five, sixty dollars, silver chafing dish. Wedding present for Christine and her new husband, Al Donovan. Well, that was the least she could do for the guy who had confessed to a murder he thought she had committed. Item six, eight dollars, flowers for Susan Gates, prison hospital. Item seven, fine for turning in false alarm. One thousand dollars and no cents. And that's what I think I'm beginning to get for getting into this racket. No cents. Expense account total, $1,263. Yours, uh, truly, Johnny Dollar. In just a moment, we'll tell you about next week's Johnny Dollar Adventure. But first, this reminder. Just a little earlier tonight on CBS, Jack Benny turned dramatic actor on the Ford Theater. But this Sunday, he'll be back again on his own show with a special treat for the Jack Benny fans. After the last broadcast on which the Ronald Coleman's appeared, thousands of letters came in from fans asking that Jack invite Ronnie and Benita back again soon. The Waukegan Wit did, and Ronnie and Benita, by popular demand, returned to the Jack Benny program this Sunday in what should result in one of the most hilarious broadcasts of the year. So be sure to listen to Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman on the Jack Benny Show, which is heard on all CBS stations this Sunday. <laughs> Listen in again next week when CBS brings you yours truly, Johnny Dollar, with Charles Russell as Johnny. 
Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is written by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd, with music by Mark Warnell, and is produced and directed by Richard Sandville for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. The Columbia Broadcasting System presents Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. The next half hour has its baggage packed to take a trip with America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar. At insurance investigation, he is just an expert. At making out his expense account, he is an absolute genius. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, American Continental Life Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of my expenditures, fulfilling your assignments as a uh, a bodyguard. The body being that of your late policyholder, Robert W. Perry. Expense account item one. Fare on night train, Hartford to New York, $3.80. Expense account item two. $1.80, taxi to Lower Manhattan the following morning. Two offices, Perry and Van Bruten, importers, arriving as promised at exactly 9 a.m. Yeah, my name is Johnny Dollar. I have an appointment with Mr. Perry for 9 o'clock. Oh, yes, from the insurance company. Well, you're right on time. Well, they told me I'd better be. Mr. Perry just came in. He's alone and waiting for you. I'll buzz him that you're here. Thanks. was left of your policyholder, Mr. Perry, was just sliding out of his swivel chair as I hit the room. The top of his desk had erupted, and splinters of mahogany pointed their sharp fingers upward through lazy circles of smoke swirling toward the ceiling. The buzzer from his secretary's desk had been rigged to a booby trap. Oh, oh no, Mr. Perry! Stay away from him. There's nothing you can do for him. He's dead. Oh, what happened? What happened? Whatever happened? Come on, we let's, let's get back out of here. Sit down. I'll catch you a drink of water. There you are. I'll just drink this. What happened? We well, you have an explosion. I've been in the bar. Is anybody hurt? There's a doctor on the third floor. Should I call him? Never mind the doctor. Call the police. And nobody gets in here until they arrive. Now, the rest of you, go on. Feed it. Run along. And turn off that alarm. Okay, miss. Now, just take it easy. But it was all so sudden. What happened? Well, that's not too hard to figure out. Somebody wanted to give your boss, Mr. Perry, a shortcut through life. So whoever it was figured out that a secretary would never buzz her boss unless he was at his desk. They rigged up a bomb somewhere in his desk that would go off when you buzzed him. Oh, but... But I killed him! Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Don't get hysterical on me. There's excitement enough around here, and there'll be plenty more when the police get here. Keep cool. But I did it. You saw me do it. Look, the way you put it, I killed him by coming in here and giving you my name so you'd buzz him. Drop it, will you? I'm sorry. Uh, now, uh, what about yesterday? Was he here? 
Yes, all day. What time was it when you last used the buzzer? Right up to the last minute, about 5.30. Uh, who left the office first, you or Perry? Mr. Perry, he always leaves first, and I lock up. Looks of things, you should have used more locks last night. Somebody got in here to do some wiring. Oh, I forgot that fire alarm. All that equipment and no fire. Look, before the police arrive, do you know why I was sent here? Yes. Mr. Perry recently felt that his life was in danger. He thought that, well, with a $100,000 policy, the insurance company would do everything they could to help keep him alive. Well, we didn't have much of a chance, did we? What was he afraid of? I don't know. Okay. What were his other appointments for today? He only had two. His partner, Mr. Van Bruten, at 11. And then... One at a time now. Van Bruten, anything special about their meeting? Yes. Mr. Van Bruten arrived just yesterday from Holland. You mean there was a branch of this firm in Holland? Yes, and Mr. Perry was buying out Van Bruten's interest. They had their final meeting at Van Bruten's hotel last night. Oh? And Van Bruten was coming by this morning to pick up his money. Uh, cash? No, a cashier's check. The bank is to deliver it here at 10.30. Now, quick. Perry's other appointment. Who was that? Christine, his wife. Oh, yeah. Now Christine, the beneficiary. Yes, but she wouldn't have been the beneficiary in another two weeks. They were getting a divorce. Thanks for the motive. You don't like her? I didn't mean it that way. How about Perry? Did you like him? Okay, well, here's an easy one. What's your name? Susan. Susan Gates. Now, isn't that about enough? Okay, Susan. You'd better save your voice. During the next few hours, you're going to have a lot of talking to do. Oh, here come the firemen, and we haven't even got a child to ask them to save. Where's the fire? I'm looking for a fire. Just stick around. When the cops get here, somebody will get burned. The firemen should have stuck around because the cops arrived in a blaze of glory. It was a very high-class investigation. Two lieutenants. Finally, after about an hour, the police photographer ran out of flashbulbs, the office of the deceased ran out of fingerprints, and the lieutenants ran out of questions. So the on-the-scene phase of the investigation was closed. At about five minutes of 11, I left the police to pack up their notebooks, their clues, and the body, and went into the outer office. Susan looked like she could use a big, broad shoulder to weep on, but unfortunately, I was wearing my light gray suit. About then, a dark blue suit and a deep green voice entered the room from the corridor. Say, there's some fellow out here who says he belongs here. His name is Van Bruten. Shall I let him in? Oh, what do you think? His name is on the drawer you just opened. Oh, indeed, now. Well, my name happens to be Murphy, and it's on beds all over the country. But that don't mean I'm stuffed with feathers, does it? This'll teach you, Johnny Dollar, never to cross tongues with an Irishman. Okay, send him in, officer. All right, you can come in. The policeman out there. Is there trouble here? Oh, uh, I'm Bremer Van Bruten. Where's Mr. Parrott? What? He's waiting for me, no? No. But my appointment... He's not keeping any. He's dead. Dead? It's impossible. Last night I saw him. He was well. What happened? He was hit by a buzz bomb. A buzz bomb? Please. Oh, sorry. I forgot other people aren't used to these things. You mean that was foul play? Very foul. Please, may I sit down? My first visit in all these years, since before the war. It was to be so happy. Now, tragedy like this. He was a good man. A good partner. I understand that as of last night, you were no longer partners. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I realize, of course, that it is indelicate to speak of such things as money at a time like this. Now, that is why I'm here. 
to receive my payment. Oh, just because Perry got his, there's no reason for you not getting yours, huh? But you misunderstand me. I am deeply grieved. Since the transaction was consummated, what is that to do? A delay would be a needless waste of money. I have already paid for passage back to Amsterdam tomorrow. Your check is here, Mr. Van Here you are. Thank you. In all my years of business, this is indeed the saddest moment. Yeah. Now, those are very kind words, Van Bruten, and I'd believe them if your eyes would stop counting all the zeros on that check. Expense account, item three, 90 cents. Phone call to your company. American Continental Life Insurance Company, good morning. Oh, well, that's a matter of opinion. This is Johnny Dollar. Put me through to Mr. Gordon, will you? Yes, sir. Mr. Gordon's office. Look, honey, this is Johnny Dollar. I want to speak to Gordon. Oh, and uh, while I'm telling him what I've got to tell him, maybe you'd better sit in his lap with some smelling salts. I'm not that type of a secretary. Besides, he doesn't have a lap. Hello, Dollar. How are you making out? I owe about $100,000. What's that? Yeah, somebody turned Mr. Perry into a firecracker. He's dead. Oh, that's bad news. It's a big policy. Yeah. Look, what I want to know is, shall I stay on the case? Oh, certainly, Dollar. Certainly, by all means. By the way, is there, is there a chance of uh, proving suicide? There's a non-payment clause. To make this one a suicide, there'd have to be a Santa clause. Nobody could hate himself enough to do it this way. Well, what are the fraud possibilities? Uh, only fair. There's an estranged wife. She's the beneficiary, but uh, she wouldn't have been in a couple of weeks. Divorce coming up. I'll start with her. Uh, all right, Tyler. Good luck. But watch those expenses. Why, Gordon, I'm surprised. I think an insurance man would be the first to want to see a fellow live a little. <laughs> Expense account, item three. Cab fare, $2.80. Tip to driver, $1. Christine Perry's apartment was on Sutton Place, overlooking the river. And from what the doorman told me, all of the proprieties. I took the elevator up to the 24th floor, and there I discovered that our garden-fresh widow was living high in more ways than one. Everything about the place was French. The maid that led me into the living room, the decor, and the perfume, which reminds you that breathing can be fun. I looked up from enjoying my nose to see Mrs. Perry looking down hers. Mr. Dollar? Oh, Mrs. Perry. I believe we can dispense with any getting acquainted. You're an insurance investigator, interested in the death of my husband. So naturally, you're here because you've jumped to the conclusion that I killed him. Oh? You're the one that's jumping to conclusions, lady. Then what do you want? The policy's in order. The premiums are fully paid. I'm not quite sure. I know that you've got a great motive. So far, the only motive I've found. You haven't had much time to look, have you? Check. This is my first stop. Maybe you can help me. Do you know anyone who would be happier with your husband out of the way? I know very little about my husband's friends. Or, for that matter, his activities for the past six months. That's when I left him. Uh-huh. Well, that's not much help for either of us. Well, without someone else to suspect, I may just have to concentrate on you. Mr. Dollar, I picked him in I want to concentrate on me. Well, I hope you're as long on alibis as you are short on your temper. Where were you last night? With a friend, Al Donovan. For a while, I think my husband was. And I've witnesses to prove who was with him. Anybody at the club Caprice can tell you. Well, save me a trip. I can't afford the prices they get there. Certainly, pleasure. 
My husband was with his beautiful little secretary, Susan Well, I wouldn't be more surprised if your late husband walked through the door and said that... All right, Mr. That's enough. Well, yeah. How, how much do you I'm do? a big guy, baby. Six foot four, and I've got big ears to match. Oh, please. Would this be Mr. Donovan, your companion of last evening? I'm getting you out of here, Christine. I don't know what you're saying. You lie to me. How can I help you if you lie to me? You call me stupid. The way you're playing this, you'll alibi yourself right into a cell. I'm getting you out of here. What are you doing to me? Are you crazy? Come on. She's right. You are stupid, Donovan. She was doing just fine till you dropped in. Mister, you've been asking a lot of questions. Now I'll give you one answer. All right, Christine. So much for the wise guy. Now about you and your alibi. You wasn't with me at the club caprice last night. And if it's so easy to prove your husband was there with his secretary... Who were you there with? You told me you were going with your husband. Talking divorce, remember? When Al measured me for that swing, I measured my chances with him. To me, he looked like one of the corporate assets of Murder Incorporated. So I rolled with a punch, hit the floor, and stayed there, with my eyes closed and my ears open. What I heard was Christine's alibi flying out the window, Mr. Donovan giving her a few loving cuffs, and finally the pair of them flying out the door. I allowed myself the luxury of a 20-second massage on the new lump on my jaw, and then I got up and started out after them. This case was becoming interesting. In just a moment, we'll return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. But first, this important message. Sixty million dollars is what the Red Cross needs to carry on its great work in 1949. If this seems like a lot, just try to review briefly the various activities of the Red Cross. It can't be done briefly. Red Cross services extend into every area of our lives, bringing care, comfort, and recreation to the men of the armed forces, bringing first aid training, nutritional programs, nursing services, blood banks to our own communities. And all the time, as these activities go on uninterrupted, the Red Cross is holding itself ready to spring into instant action in case of disaster. Fire, flood, explosion, any sort of catastrophe finds the Red Cross on the scene with food, clothing, and medical care. Sixty million isn't so much in the light of such activity. We can make it with each of us contributing. We're giving to our own safety, security, and peace of mind, and to our neighbors, too. So let's give generously to our own Red Cross. And now back to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. I hit the street just in time to see Donovan pushing Christine Perry into a cream-colored convertible. When they got rolling, I piled into a cab and followed them, and the chase was on. <laughs> At 57th and Broadway, things got complicated. My cab was three cars behind theirs when a red light flashed them to a stop. Then the door of their convertible flew open. Christine jumped out, dashed across the street, and down to the subway. Since Donovan didn't follow her, I followed him. When he finally pulled to a stop, he took two chances. He parked in a no-parking zone and walked straight into the building beside it. A police station. This is Mr. Dollar, Lieutenant. He's been waiting for you for some time. Huh? Well, you can wait outside, Sergeant. Okay, sir. My name is Johnny Dollar, Lieutenant. Here are my credentials. 
Insurance, huh? Yeah, the uh, Perry murder in particular. Now, you've come to the right place, Dollar. A man named Donovan just walked in here and made a full confession. He what? That's right. My clerk's just typing it up. In the meantime, the gentleman is down in the tank having a bite of lunch on the city. He confessed. Does his story add up? As far as I know. I haven't heard too much about the case myself. It's not in my precinct. What did he use for a motive? Jealousy. Says he's in love. Wanted to marry Perry's wife. Uh, did he say how he managed it? Yeah. He stole a key to the office from the wife's apartment, entered the building last night, and wired a bomb to the buzzer system. Uh-huh. Well, guys do a lot of strange things in the name of love. <laughs> yeah, looks like Donovan did. Ah, he either killed a man, or he's trying to cover up for someone who did. Now, listen, don't uh, execute him for a couple of days. How, Lieutenant? <laughs> spent the rest of the afternoon downtown in the offices of Perry and Van Bruten, importers. The partner's correspondence told me two things. They had been extremely friendly, and uh, Van Bruten was extremely bald. Perry had been sending him toupees from her famous Hollywood makeup firm. At 4.30, I opened the drawer marked Employment Files. They rocked me with two minor explosions of their own. The folder marked Donovan Albert J., told me that he'd been employed as Perry's bodyguard over a period of years and that he was canned the day before the murder. Before I received blast number two from the folder of Perry's secretary, Susan Gates, the office door opened behind me. Well, Mr. Dunham, you're supplied with a search warrant, I hope? Just the one I was born with, Mrs. Perry. The kind they say kills cats. You know, curiosity. What are you looking for? I found it. How about you? What are you doing here? Why? Oh, I'm tired of dueling with you. I'm here because I want to. Well, I've got to talk to someone. I called your hotel. You went there. I tried to locate Susan, but I couldn't, so I thought maybe you'd be down here. What's the basis of our sudden friendship? You should know. Al Donovan's confession. The newspapers have it already? Yes, but there's not a word of truth in it. He didn't kill my husband. How do you know that? Because... What? It's impossible, that's all. Yeah, it was a little hard for me to swallow, too, when the police told me about it. But since then, it's become a little more digestible. What do you mean? I just learned that he was your husband's bodyguard. He was fired yesterday. That same day, your husband calls his insurance company screaming for another bodyguard. Now, how would that add up for you? A beef, maybe? Al Donovan's a fool. Never thinks. He just rushes in and says he does whatever's on his mind. He told my husband if he didn't divorce me that... Well, he threatened him. Now, you came in here saying that Donovan's confession was no good. And you spend your time making it sound better and better. What do you want, anyway? I can't help it. I've got to tell you the truth. I know it doesn't sound like I'm trying to help Al, but what can I do? You really want me to answer that? Here. If you want to help Al, phone the police. Tell them Donovan made that phony confession to cover up for you. It's simple. Not as simple as that. You don't need the gun, Christine. Hang up the phone. Sure. I hope you don't mind my aversion being held for murder myself. Oh, well, that's a common aversion. I'm in no hurry to see you behind bars. But don't forget, when the cops want to pick you up, they'll do it. Now, don't spoil the rest of the afternoon. Take that gun someplace else. I've got things to do. The first I imagine will be to call that I wouldn't make. Well, not necessarily. 
If it'll make you feel any better, we'll just put this phone out of order. Satisfied? Of course not. But don't get me wrong, Mr. Dollar. I wish you nothing but success in your investigation. I puzzled over that exit line for a few seconds after she'd gone. And then I went back to the company's employment file. Namely, the application for employment as secretary of Susan Gates. It informed me that during the war she had worked in a munitions plant. Her specialty? Wiring bomb fuses. When Miss Susan Gates reached home at 8.30 that evening, she found a visitor. Me. you get in here? A professional secret. Oh, you scared me. What do you want? Why did you come here? I wanted to bring you the good news. I uh, heard on the radio that Al Donovan confessed to Perry's murder. Al? I can't believe it. Why not? Who do you like for the spot? Why, Christine. Al is covering up for her. I'd like to agree with you. If it turns out that Christine wound up her husband's life with a bang, the company that hired me saves a hundred thousand dollars. But I don't know. She claims she has all kinds of alibis. One of them is you. Me? Yeah. Did you see her at the Club Caprice last night? Why, yes. I know who you were with. Your boss. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, I'm not preaching a sermon. I want to know who she was with. I don't know. A man I'd never seen before. Mr. Perry knew him, but he wouldn't tell me who he was. Why not? I don't know. He said I might get the wrong idea. About what? I don't know. We didn't sit there and talk about it all night. Why should we sit here and talk about it all night? All right, all right. When a census taker shows up and asks a lot of questions, people answer them. When an investigator tries to do his job, they make the proverbial clam look like a blabbermouth. Look, Mr. Dell, believe me, this has been a greater shock to me than to anyone else. Excepting, of course, your late employer, Mr. Perry. How long did you work for him? Four years. Now, where'd you work before then? Why, I... I... Let me help you. Bombs, wiring fuses, remember? All right, I remember. Good. Then maybe you'll remember a little bit more. Let's go back to last night. The guy with Christine Perry. Who was he? I tell you, I don't know. Was it Van Bruten? I don't know. You don't know? No, I mean... I'll get that. No, I'll go. You make sure you just don't keep going. <laughs> Susan! When Susan snapped the spring lock to open the door, the gun outside opened up. The first slug caught her in the left shoulder, spinning her out of the way of the rest of them. It was getting monotonous. Every time a buzzer went off, things started booming. Susan was sprawled out on the floor in front of the door. And to open it, I had to move her. By the time I did, the hallway outside was empty. Okay. Come on, take it easy. It won't start hurting for a couple of minutes. I'll have a doctor here by then. He'll give you something. Just try and keep calm. Yeah, I'll throw my coat over you. I'll try not to move. Oh. Trying to ruin this rug. Never mind the rug. What we want to worry about is who tried to ruin you. What'll they do to me? Well, well, who'll do to you? They'll arrest me. No, they don't arrest people for getting shot. Do you have any idea who it was? That man in the office this morning. The one who picked up the check. Van Bruton? No, no, he wasn't Van Bruton. He was a phony. Yes. And you still gave him that check? Yes. Well, I won't ask you why. But apparently you gave him the money and then tried to blackmail him. Is that right? 
Presley. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. Who is this guy? Where can I find him? <gasps> Come on, now, don't pass out on me now. His name, quick. Francis. Where does he live? Elson Hotel. Under his own name? Oh, I don't. I don't blame him. I could use a few moments of unconsciousness myself. The Nelson Hotel didn't have a Dutch name on the register, so I got a hold of the housekeeper and found out how many rooms her staff hadn't been able to make up all day because of do not disturb signs on their doors. I went a calling at these particular rooms. On the ninth floor, I awakened one old maid. On the seventh, I startled a bunch of poker players who thought they were being raided. On the fifth, I blushed my way out of the bridal suite. And on the fourth, I struck the door of 427 and the jackpot. Who's there? Don't you see the sign? I do not wish to be disturbed. Oh, uh, sorry. I must have the wrong room. I started up the hall after the fire axe, but when I got to it, I changed my mind. One of the few things I'd learned about this guy, Van Sant, was that he loved to murder people through doors. So I decided against trying to chop his down. Then I remembered the way those people came pouring out of those offices earlier in the day when they heard that fire alarm. So I picked up the little red hammer next to the big red fire axe, broke the little glass window, pulled the little brass hook, and set off a big brassy noise. Then I rushed back to 427. Fire! Fire! Where's the fire? Right here in my eyes, sweetheart. You, why you come here? You wish you hadn't. Never mind, addresser. You're, you're through shooting guns for the day. What do you think, Vincent? Want to try some more? You cannot make me stay here. The fire, we've all died. You look good barbecued. But I'll make a deal with you. You talk. And if I like what I hear, I'll show you how to get out of here alive. How do I know this? Well, you don't think I'm going to stay here and fry, do you? And if you don't start flapping that tongue in a hurry, I'll probably just tie you to a chair and run. First, where's Van Bruton? You will find him in the bedroom. He better be alive. He's out cold. What's the matter with him? He will be all right. He's on the sedatives. Where did this identity switch start? You better hurry up. I smell smoke. I knew Van Bruton in Amsterdam. I knew about the sale of his interest. And I knew that the girl in the office here had never seen Van Bruton. Well, let's go now. Now, don't get up. I can feel it getting warm in here. The firefighters. You will be safe. Now, don't be too sure. They always start at the top floor and work their way down. Come on, I can hear those flames crackling. You know the rest. Last night, when the transaction was all finished with Perry, I gave to Van Bruton some sedative and his cocoa. You set up that bomb so Perry'd get it before you showed up to pick up the check. Yeah, I told you that. Then it happened that girl didn't know I was an imposter. I don't know how. Well, let me tell you. She's been sending old Van Bruton in there two pays for the last four years. Gray ones, my red-headed friend. Oh, yeah. Let's get out of here, no? Yeah, out. Expense account item four, a dollar forty. Night letter informing you that American Continental would have to meet payment of claim to Mrs. Christine Perry, innocent widow of the insured. The only thing she was guilty of was trying to stay on the right side of a hot-tempered boyfriend. <laughs> she lied about who she was with at the Club Caprice, not to fix herself an alibi, but to keep Al Donovan from learning that she'd been out with another guy. That guy being the real Mr. Van Bruton. 
who had only taken her out to try to talk her into reconciling with his friend, her husband. Item five, sixty dollars, silver chafing dish. Wedding present for Christine and her new husband, Al Donovan. Well, that was the least she could do for the guy who had confessed to a murder he thought she had committed. Item six, eight dollars, flowers for Susan Gates, prison hospital. Item seven, fine for turning in false alarm, one thousand dollars and no cents. And that's what I think I'm beginning to get for getting into this racket. No cents. Expense account total, $1,263. Yours, uh, truly, Johnny Dollar. In just a moment, we'll tell you about next week's Johnny Dollar Adventure. But first, this reminder. Just a little earlier tonight on CBS, Jack Benny turned dramatic actor on the Ford Theater. But this Sunday, he'll be back again on his own show with a special treat for the Jack Benny fan. After the last broadcast on which the Ronald Coleman's appeared, thousands of letters came in from fans asking that Jack invite Ronnie and Benita back again soon. The Waukegan Wit did. And Ronnie and Benita, by popular demand, Return to the Jack Benny program this Sunday in what should result in one of the most hilarious broadcasts of the year. So be sure to listen to Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman on the Jack Benny Show, which is heard on all CBS stations this Sunday. Listen in again next week when CBS brings you Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, with Charles Russell as Johnny. Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar is written by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd, with music by Mark Warno, and is produced and directed by Richard Sandville for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. The next half hour has its baggage packed to take a half hour trip with America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar. At insurance investigation, he is just an expert. At making out his expense account, he is an absolute genius. Expense account submitted by investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, East Coast Underwriters, Terminal Building, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of my expenditures in the investigation of the Paracroft policy for your company. Expense account, item one, plane fare to Benton, Ohio, $40.04. Expense account, item two, plane fare, Benton back to Hartford, $40.04. Explanation purchase two one-way tickets instead of saving money by purchasing one round trip. Because of the type of case I'm usually assigned, I never press my luck by buying round trips. This time, I was almost right. Expense account. Item three. Cab fare airport to Valley Hotel. $2.20. Tip the driver. Gee, a dollar. Well, naturally. There'll be steak on the table tonight. Welcome to Warfare City. Hey, Dorman. Yes, sir. What can I do for you, sir? Bring my bag inside, will you? Over here. Dollar. Always. 
Good evening, sir. Hello. Do you have a reservation for Johnny Dollar? Uh, oh, yes. Uh, Mr. Dollar's in his room. He checked in about 8 o'clock. What? I guess I ain't the man I used to be. What room is he in? Oh, sorry, sir. I'm not permitted to tell you that. I can call. Oh, no, never mind. Let me have an envelope, will you? I'd like to leave my card for this Mr. Dollar. Uh, yes. Here you are. Thanks. Here. Just pop this in his box. The clerk popped the envelope into box number 207, so I popped myself into an elevator going up to room 207. I'd come to Benton to investigate a murder, and in just a matter of minutes, I found myself ready to commit one. Yes? Uh, Who is it? A bellboy, sir. A package from Hartford. Uh, uh, Just a minute. What kind of a package? Special delivery! Come on, get up on your feet. Oh, it's safer down here. Now, take it easy. You must be Johnny Dollar. Sometimes strangers in a hotel room can be a lot of fun, but not when they're men and not when they're using my name. What's your angle? Now, listen, Dollar, I can explain everything. It better be good. It better be fast. I didn't want to be seen waiting for you in the lobby, and it's important that I talk with you before anybody else does. That's why I'm here. I'm Eric Barker. Oh, the defense attorney in this Karakoff thing, huh? Well, I hope you're better at defending your client than you are at defending yourself. Well, whether my client goes to the chair or not, unfortunately, has nothing to do with my being a good lawyer. That's why I wanted to talk to you. Well, I suppose this is one time when the attorney won't mind relinquishing the floor. Why don't you get up on your feet? Well, thanks. Thanks, I will. I'm no coward, Dollar, but if either one of us is going to get any place on this case, we'll have to work together. I need your help, and I need it badly. Sorry, I do a single act. Oh, now, uh, don't be hasty. I can help you, too. Just how much do you know about the Parakoff murder? Well, I know it's one of the screwiest cases I've ever run into. Beneficiaries are knocking off insured people all over the country. But not here in Benton. Oh, no. Here, they tell me, the insured man knocked off the beneficiary. And now I've got the jolly assignment of trying to keep the state from executing the insured man. My employer, East Coast Underwriters, isn't anxious to see $100,000 of their... Money burn up in the electric chair. Well, at least we're both stuck with the same tough job. Look, I'll tell you the few things that I already know, and you fill it in from there. All right. All I want to know is, is that Parakoff was shot to death, and that his business partner, your client, Harlan Wolf, was picked up making a quick trip out of town as being held for the murder. What have they got on him? Only what they found on him, and it's enough. The murder weapon. Any witnesses? One. Parakoff's widow, Marsha. An eyewitness. The murder weapon and an eyewitness. It seems, at least at first glance anyway, that the state of Ohio will be receiving a large electric bill one day soon. Any chance of my seeing Wolf? No, not before he's indicted. Oh, great. Dollar, Harlan Wolf shot Parakoff in self-defense. There was no premeditation. I'm convinced that I could get him off with a second-degree manslaughter verdict. That is, I could if it weren't for the tactics of the prosecution. Oh, what's that? Well, they not only have intimidated my character witnesses, but they also have suborned their own to perjury. That's the uh, sort of thing I'm up against. Well, as the insurance companies keep saying, never say die. Where can I find the widow Parakoff? They aren't holding her in protective custody so nobody can question her. She may be at home. Uh, that's uh, 1375 96th Street. That's a lot of figures. By the way, how's hers? Expense account item four. Cab fare to home of murdered man and the girl he left behind him. Two dollars and forty cents. 
I shivered all the way out to the suburbs, but not from fear or anticipation. Just a simple case of summer shorts in red flannel weather. The Parakoff place was obviously the product of a good income and a bad architect. It looked like a great big wedding cake, and Mother Nature had mercifully iced the confection. The front walk was white and untrammeled as the driven snow. As a matter of fact, that's what it was. Three inches of it, which meant that Marsha hadn't had a visitor in the past couple of hours. I was playing detective, and somebody inside was playing the radio. So I played Peeping Tom and loved every second of it. I couldn't see her face, but she had a lovely profile. I hastened to the door. Ouch! Her hair was red and her eyes were green. Her hair stopped you cold and then her eyes gave you the go signal. Yes? Would you mind saving that yes for later? I beg your pardon? I've come to ask your help and I hope you'll say yes. You see, my name is Johnny Dollar and I've been sent to Benton to investigate the death of your husband. Say, what is this? Has it turned into a federal case? Oh, I'm, I'm from the insurance company. Oh, come in. Uh, where can I put my coat? This snow is melting all over your carpet. Let it melt. Just throw your coat anyplace. Okay. Mmm, good shot. Come on in by the fireplace. Nice and warm. Oh, I should have brought some chestnuts. I could have followed her with my eyes closed. She headed for the living room, leaving a pathway of perfumed air behind her, and I didn't waste a breath of it. Mm, that's nice perfume. Sit down. Nice. If you can stand a compliment before we get down to business, you certainly do furnish a room. Oh, you like it? Most of the things are just reproductions. Not the things I'm talking about. Oh, you mean me. Uh-huh. <laughs> Happy surprise. I expected to find someone fatter and fortier. My husband was. Now, what about his insurance? Oh, you've got me wrong. I'm I'm working for the company that insured the man being held for the murder of your husband, Harlan Wolf. What do you want from me? Just the story of what happened. Oh, well, that I can't do. The district attorney had a long talk with me about it. I'm not supposed to say anything to anybody about it until the trial. Well, I'm not asking you for any state secrets. I just want you to save me a trip down to the morgue. Oh, don't be so brutal. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were still in mourning. That negligee confused me. Anyway, I'm at the newspaper morgue. That's what they call their files. You gave them a story. Why won't you give it to me? I told you I can't. Okay. Sorry I wasted your time. Oh, wait a minute. You aren't leaving. Well, you aren't cooperating. Oh, sit down. I'm going crazy in this house alone all the time. Can't we find something else to talk about? Sure. Later. But first things first. Well, all right. Well, I don't see how it could be wrong to tell you what's already been in the newspapers. Oh, go on. Well, all right. Harlan Wolf and I were here, in this room, alone. We were discussing business. Business? Business. The Highland Coal Corporation. My husband was its president. Harlan is the secretary treasurer, and I'm the vice president. I can't resist this, but... You know, your kind of businesswoman makes this anthracite heart of mine feel very petuminous. What? Oh, well, I don't get it. Let it go. So you and Wolf were sitting here talking about your coal business. Yes. And then my husband came home. And no doubt accused you and the secretary treasurer of putting in too much overtime. Is that it? Oh, yes. 
Oh, it was terrible. They fought, and finally Harlan ran over to the couch over there and pulled his gun out of his overcoat pocket and started pulling the trigger. Who called the police? The neighbors? No, I did. Well, that's all there is to it. Well, that's all I wanted to know. It didn't hurt them? No. Now, uh, how about using those big shoulders of yours to throw a log on the fire? Well, sure. I'll go outside and get one. Oh, there are logs in here. Uh-uh. I'd rather have one that's a little damp. They burn slower. Oh. Well, then while you're at it, get a big one. I left Marsha gazing into the fire, called a cab, and stepped out into the cold night air to wait for it. I went down the front walk with my mind on what lay behind me instead of what was ahead. Hey, Donna. Out of the white snow loomed two very large blue police uniforms, completely filled. Get out of this Parakoff mess, Dollar. Matter of fact, get out of this town. Why, officer? I'm just beginning to like it here. This is from the top that makes it official. We got the guilty man. We don't want any trouble. Well, you go back to the top and tell them that this is one sure way of getting trouble. They told us how to answer that one, too. <laughs> I did my best, my best to break every one of the Marquis of Queensbury rules. I knew I was fighting a losing fight, but I was fighting for a little time, and that's all I got. This never stopped, and my head began to feel like a ping-pong ball in a four-handed game. Suddenly, things looked up. Me, flat on my back in the snow, seeing stars. And then a boot came flying toward my head and switched off all the little pretty lights. All Americas taken to Sing It Again, CBS Saturday Night Show of Fun, Frolic, and the Fabulous Phantom Fortune. By telephone, listeners all over the nation are asked for their answers to the rhythmic riddle song. Popular songs with new lyrics, hiding the name of a movie star, radio star, or man about town. A right answer to a riddle, and the listener gets a crack at Sing It Again's Phantom Voice Fortune of $24,500 in prizes. It's a sensational session of music, suspense, and prizes. Don't miss Sing It Again tonight over most of these same CBS network stations. Maybe you'll sing to the tune of 24-5. And now back to yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account, item five. Medical supplies, bonded, seven dollars. And here's something I'll give you for free. A handy help for your regularly employed insurance investigators. When I find myself overwhelmed in a brawl with unknown assailants, cops included, I do my best to take away more than just bruises and contusions. During my career, I've picked more pockets than a rack boy in a pool room. And I added one more to the score during the brawl in front of the Karakoff house, just before I went bye-bye in the snow. Hey. Hey, hey, mister, wake up. Come on, wake up. You'll catch your death of cold. Oh. You call a cab? Yeah, I think so. Holy smokes, your face. Was you robbed? What's the matter? Is it there? Huh? Oh, here, come on. I'll, I'll give you a hand. Thanks. Holy smoke, when I first seen you laying there, I thought you was a snowman tipped over. How do you feel, cold? Forevermore, I shall look kindly upon the haddock in the deep freeze. Huh? Hey, hey, what are you looking for? I'm looking for a wallet. You lose it? 
First I found it, and then I lost it. Oh, here it is. Come on. Let's get out of here. Where to, Mr. Police Headquarters? Oh, no. Over my dead body. Expense account item six, breakfast and bed, $2.40. Expense account item seven, photographic work, $6 for taking pictures of contents of wallet. I lifted from the police uniform the night before, which I sent to you, dear East Coast underwriters, for safekeeping. Expense account item eight, 70 cents cab fare to office of Edmund Byron, district attorney. Item nine, tip the driver, $1. Sorry to have kept me waiting, Dollar. Good heavens, man. What happened to your face? Well, Mr. Falls? Yeah, but I got a flash for you. Not by person or persons unknown. Splendid. You wish to prefer charges? Half right again, but not for felonious assault, and not against the guys who gave me that going over last night. Now, what are you talking about? You know what I'm talking about. They were two of your harness bulls. But I don't want to waste time listening to you deny it, so forget it. I don't have the slightest idea what this is all about, Dollar. I said forget it. I want to talk about something more important. You're holding Harlan Wolf for the Parakoff murder. Now, what I want to know is, when are you going to hand down your indictment and what it's going to be? First thing in the morning, first-degree murder. Anything else that you want to know before I have you thrown out of here? Uh, yeah. How do I get mixed up in these rhubarbs? <laughs> Expense account, item 10, five cents. Phone call to my partner in despair, attorney for the defense, Eric Barker, who agreed to lend me a set of police photographs of the scene of the crime. They arrived at my hotel room just as I was leaving it to eat. And when I looked at them, I lost my appetite. According to the X's marking the various spots, Parakoff and Wolf had been standing face to face in the middle of the room when Wolf decided to punch Parakoff's ticket with a few 38 caliber perforations. According to the photographs of the corpus delict guy, all of the steel-jacketed forget-me-nots had gone banging straight into the right side of Parakoff's body. I set up an appointment to meet Barker at three that afternoon and decided to make the most of the time in between by seeing what kind of a trade I could make on that wallet I picked up during the winter sports of the night before. The name in it was Ben Arnold, and the address disreputable. I don't want any brushes. Well, what a coincidence. I'm not selling it. What do you want? I'm looking for Ben Arnold. Who isn't? He promised me he'd be home by now. By this time, I should know better. Well, I'll wait. Outside. Inside. Hey, wait a minute. Ben won't like this. Well, that makes it even. I don't like Ben. Look, I don't want any trouble. Okay, don't make any trouble. What do you want here, anyway? Well, it's just that I dropped in for an unfriendly visit. If Ben finds you here, it'll get real unfriendly. Ain't that face of yours marked up enough? Well, that mouse hanging under your eye isn't exactly a beauty mark. Ben really spreads his blessings, doesn't he? Ben had really spread one blessing right there close in front of me. It was a small room, about the size of a large closet, with the clothes sprawled high and low, making the whole place look like a collapsed clothesline. And there, hanging on the back of the door, was Ben Arnold's police uniform. My eyes popped out, pushed one of its shiny brass buttons, and rang the bell. There, like little love letters on the brass, stood the initials CPD. And CPD were never the initials of a Benson Police Department. 
Thanks for seeing me so quickly, Barker. Oh, Dolly, you're up. Good Lord. What happened to your face? A couple of police uniforms with overstuffed shoulders did this to me last night. Huh? There you are. I warned you that we're up against a bunch of ruthless people. Something should be done about it. Using the police force to beat up anybody who stands in their way. No, Barker. They were wearing uniforms, but they weren't police. I'm a... I'm afraid I don't follow you. Barker, can you give me one good reason for a Benton cop to be wearing an out-of-town uniform? And don't tell me they got mixed up at the cleaners. Out-of-town uniform? Yes, and here's another one. If the law enforcement setup here is so rotten, why would they go all the trouble of dressing up an outsider to do their muscle work? I don't know. What I mean is, did they? Why? Who else would do it? It certainly couldn't have been Marsha. Why not? She isn't exactly hard up for a motive. If Wolf goes to the chair, she collects his insurance money. Not only is she the widow of the original beneficiary, she's also vice president of a coal company. Any way you look at it, she's a secondary beneficiary. But why should Wolf admit to the shooting? He has nothing to gain and his life to lose. Look, Marsha told me that the night of the murder, she and Wolf were alone in the house talking about the coal business. Then she didn't know what I meant when I used the words bituminous and anthracite. Whatever they had on the fire that night, it wasn't coal. Uh, you're right about that. Marsha and Wolf were having, well, some kind of a romance. Yeah, okay. So let's say Marsha shot her husband. Let's say Wolf is madly in love with him. Let's say she promises Wolf that she will testify he shot her husband in self-defense. Marsha gets away with murder. Wolf gets away with a light sentence or none at all. And then Wolf gets away with a girl. Now, that does make sense. What makes you think this is even possible? Parker, somebody had me beat up last night. I say the prosecution wouldn't have bothered sending fake cops. There's one thing i got to check, and check fast. What's that? Those police photos you gave me show that Parakoff was shot by a left-handed shooter. Well, that's one of the prosecution's strongest points. Wolf is left-handed. That doesn't prove that Marsha isn't. Parker, I'm going to go out and see Mr. Parakoff. And there's only really one thing I, I hope. That she's left-handed? Ah. Uh, and she's wearing that same necklace shade that she had on last night. Hello, Marsha. Can I come in? Why, John... Johnny, what happened to your face? Uh, I didn't get down to the beauty parlor today. You look like you've been fighting. Mm-hmm. Not too well, but wisely. Well, come on in the other room. And, uh, how about throwing another log on the fire? You're a real little firebug, aren't you? You should have lived back in old Nero's time. Whose time? Uh, never mind. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll build the fire if you light it. I'd love to. Oh, you're getting a dry one from inside. Last night, you went all the way outside to get one that would burn for a long time. Hey, you got some paper? Yeah, here's some. Well, there we are. Okay, hot point. Here's my lighter. Touch it off. Okay. Here, that'll do it. Come on, sit down. Uh, there's one more thing I'd like you to do for me. What is it? Very simple. Pick up your phone and call the district attorney. Tell him you want to change your story on the murder of your husband. What are you talking about? If you don't, I will. Well, what have I done? Okay, if you want to play games, I'll read you the rules. 
You know, there's a big advantage to being on my side of investigation. See, fellows in my racket have the benefit of a lot of experience. But murderers, well, almost everyone is inexperienced at that business. One moment they aren't murderers, the next moment they are. Oh, Johnny, please. But now let's take a look at what's on my side. For instance, for one thing, from the empty shells thrown off by an automatic pistol, the experts can get a better picture of a murder scene than they can from the witnesses. Your husband was killed by a gun that was held approximately 18 inches away and directly in front of him, and the bullets entered the right half of his body. That means he was killed by a left-handed shooter. Harlan Wolf is left-handed. You can ask him. He'll tell you. I know that. And I'm right-handed. I just found that out, too. And what more do you need? Not much. Now, Marsha, let's see what you've got going for you. You've got a face and a body, and not too much of a brain. But, baby, that's not enough. It's not enough to offset the things that I know. You don't know anything. Oh, okay. So let's make this a guessing game. Let's guess after your husband was shot, you saw a wolf. When he got here, you told him you'd given your husband a thirty-eight caliber divorce, right? Then you charged him into taking the rap for you, right? No. And you told him you testify he shot your husband in self-defense, right? And once you got him in jail, you told the district attorney that Wolf had committed premeditated murder. And he'd been after you to leave your husband and had threatened to shoot him if you didn't, right? Stop it! That's a good idea, Stop. Eric, he knows. What are we going to do? Keep quiet. We'll have to get rid of him, Eric. Just as soon as we get rid of something else. All right, Dollar. I want Ben Arnold's wallet, and I want it right now. You're welcome to it, Barker. But it might interest you to know that I had his picture taken this morning. Your phony policeman's wallet and everything in it. And copies of the photos are in the mail right now. The insurance company won't have any trouble connecting you with the comedy cops who beat me up last night. Yeah, hey, you're bluffing. But that's not all I've done on you, Barker. This morning when I was lying in bed, reading bumps on my head, it suddenly dawned on me that you were the only one that knew where I was going last night. So you must have been the one who had me roughed up. It also does my heart good to see you standing there holding that gun. In your left hand. You shot Parkoff, and then got out of here while Marsha called Wolf. Told him she'd done it and talked him into taking a rap. Shoot him. Shoot him, Eric. For a lawyer, Barker, how do you like my case? Good, isn't it? What are you waiting for? Shoot him. Kill him, I tell you. Shut up, Marsha. All right, Dollar. Stand still. If you won't, I will. Give me that gun. Marsha, look out! Marsha made a rush and grabbed the gun from Barker. She got between me and the gun, and I dove in behind her. Arms straight out, Ow! picked her up, and she... Marsha went smashing into Barker, and I went on a frantic treasure hunt through that flailing mass of snorting, angry bodies to find the hand that held the gun. Believe me, it was no place for a lady, but Marsha was no lady. I grabbed deep in between them and yanked Barker's gun hand up out of the go-round, and just to make sure the rest was strictly a fist fight, jammed my trigger finger in the ceiling. The way the plaster was falling, it was like another fight in the snow. Uh, but this time, Johnny Della came up heads. Instead of pills. Eric! Eric! Come on, Barker. Up. Come on, get up. No. No. Down you go. Eric! All right, Marsha. I'll be a nice little girl. Pick up the nice little telephone and call the nice little district attorney and invite him out to your nice little house. Expense account, item 11, $12.40. That was lunch for district attorney, during which we agreed that it was, a, it was the first case we'd ever worked on where the defense was working harder for a conviction than the prosecution. Also, that it was the first case where everybody turned out to be guilty. Defense attorney Eric Barker of murder, his girlfriend Martha Tarakoff 
of being an accessory before and after the fact, and Harlan Wolf of conspiracy to defraud. Oh, no wonder the nation's jails are getting overcrowded. Expense account item 12. Hotel bill, $28. Expense account item 13. Flowers for the cell of unlucky Marsha Perikoff, $5. Expense account item 14. $700. Side trip to Miami, Florida. Purpose? <coughs> to recover from catching uh, 40 winks and miserable cold in Benton, Ohio snowbank. Expense account total, $1,230.20. Signed, yours, truly, Johnny Dollar. Listen in again next week when CBS brings you yours truly, Johnny Dollar, with Charles Russell as Johnny. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is written by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd and is produced and directed by Richard Sanzo. Live life with Luigi and you live a wonderful life of seeing yourself as others see you. Luigi Basco is a little Italian immigrant who loves America even though he's highly puzzled by American ways, American language, Americans themselves. His friends try to explain, his neighbors try to help, but it's usually Luigi who has the last words, who knows what America really is. Luigi's life is paved with laughter, and yours will be too, for the half hour that Life with Luigi fills every Sunday night over most of these CBS stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.